Hey, welcome to Joyous Eclectic, where we talk about the good, the bad, and the interesting in all sorts of music. Let's get to it. Featuring silly songs with Ashley Deal. Parker and Chad, a man, man and Parker and Chad. Matt has two cats, Parker has two dogs, Chad's about to have a baby, baby. Good. I'm lonely. I don't feel the heat of my sweet, sweet boys around me. <laughs> <laughs> and why that is that sweet man heat? What's well, uh, what's different today? We uh, we had to postpone just a little bit because somebody Parker didn't feel very good on Monday, <laughs> and we love him and we want him to be very, very well and not get us all sick when we're you know going about our lives and doing other things. Accurate. So mm-hmm. we postponed. It is a, a couple of days later, and we are all at our own separate abodes, giving yeah. this whole Skype thing a try. Yeah. yeah, but it's okay because I have my nice. Toasty, delicious apple juice here. Oh, yeah, I said toasty. <laughs> toasty I apple apple juice. Is it a toasty apple juice? Or I mean, is if you're toasting like, with it, then I guess that's valid. Was <laughs> it spiked in some way? <laughs> it might, I don't know. It might be. Maybe. You know, yeah. it's, no, but it's good to... I don't remember to, making it, so... I'm glad we're giving this Skype thing a try, too, because at some point, if we ever have guests... All of our guests thus far have just been local and therefore mm-hmm. been able to just be in the room with us. But, uh, yeah, it'll be fun to... Get this kind of knocked out mm-hmm. so that we feel more comfortable when uh, getting some far, far away guests, if that ever were to happen. So yeah, it makes mm-hmm. things a little bit more flexible for the kinds of people that we want to have on the podcast and stuff. Yep. Faux also, show. Yeah, just technology is really cool. We don't yeah. use enough technology. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, we were, uh, my Ashley, my Ashley, uh, my wife, Ashley, was doing a BuzzFeed my quiz, wife. and I was like, hey, just ask me the questions instead. And one of them was, how much time do you spend on a computer a day? <laughs> And I was like, this is not a fair question in this day and age because I'm required to be on a computer for my whole day at work. So, like, Mm -hmm. obviously I'm going to be in the top category just based off that alone. Yeah, Uh, literally at least eight and a half to nine hours of my day every day. Just, like, can't get away from it. That's what my job entails. And then if you call it, like, how much time you spend on technology, then at that point you also Mm -hmm. include phone time, which maybe includes listening to music or podcasts on the way to and from work, and then any leisure time that you spend on it, too. So all that to say, say yeah, we don't spend nearly enough time on (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, these 16 hours that I'm alive and awake in the world (laughs) are spent using some sort of technology. Oh man! Oh no! But yeah, how are you guys been doing? What you been listening to, Chad? Oh man, I was not ready for that. Um, <laughs> Surprise! No, I, yeah, I know. Totally uh, unexpected. No, I don't know. I've just been kind of listening to a few different things, kind of bouncing around a lot, trying to get ready for like what we were talking about this time, and realizing how few examples of what I actually wanted to talk about today <laughs> I actually had. Um, <laughs> No, because, uh, I don't know, I'll just say this. I at least listened to all of Manchester Orchestra's first album today. Because um, it's super good. It's I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit more later, but some like really just top songs. If you like sort of harder indie rock, and this is really dipping a little bit more into like 
I don't know, almost towards garage rock or uh, just like harder, somewhere between hardcore and indie rock and mm-hmm. punk. Um, it's not recorded super well, but like Wolves at Night and Collie Strings is super good. And there's some other songs. I mean, the whole album is just super good. It's a lot of great, really great songwriting. Um, yeah, I really enjoy it. It's super fun. I definitely recommend it. Nice. Thanks. Good stuff. Yeah. Uh, Chet or Matt, I mm-hmm. I'm curious what you've been listening to, but I also know <laughs> that you have a tale to tell of over the past weekend that involves music of sorts. So I'm curious to hear yes. about that. Yeah. Uh, so this weekend was, as some of you may know, the Pilgrimage Festival in Franklin, Tennessee, and they've been doing this every year for the past three years, I believe. Uh, this might be year three. And uh, I I took a friend. I I bought tickets kind of last minute just because I. There were a couple artists that I wanted to see, namely Lionel Richie and Jack White, because uh, they were the headliners on Saturday. And I thought, you know, I mean, I might as well. Tickets for like $125 for the one-day pass. But if I get there early in the morning, it'll be worth it. You know, spend, spend the day at the festival, seeing a bunch of new bands, whatever. They had like a cool little kids section that was really fun. It was That's like a sweet. little kids festival set up, and they had a, a band doing a... a pirate music and they're like do you want to be a pirate (laughs) and they had like the kids get on stage with them and uh put a little pirate hats on them and it was really cute it was fun um but that was early in the morning and uh yeah so it was around i guess four o'clock or so and the the big headliners weren't due to go on until like six and seven so uh we were just trying to kill time my my buddy and i and we ended up going to watch the counting crows uh, who were a very popular 90s rock band <laughs> that were there for some That's reason. Random. <laughs> yeah. You might know you might know one of their songs from the feature film Shrek, uh, <laughs> which they didn't play by the way. They only played new music. They got uh, about four or five songs in, and um, Adam Duritz, their lead singer, who was like so out of shape and just like out of the rock star age like he had to sit down every song on this big box and like oh, fantastic. Um, oh fantastic well they're in the middle of like some song that nobody cares about and uh he stopped singing and he like looks over and he's like oh i i guess i i have to stop singing now okay i gotta stop singing now <laughs> what? and uh what? everyone was like boo what's going on and he's like some some guy's gonna tell you that you all have to leave right now and i was like oh uh oh so my first thought was unfortunately like uh, an attack like you know that oh, somebody yeah. somebody had some kind of weapon and was gonna like cause chaos or something and i'm like oh geez so i got like my heart sank a little bit like oh what's so he happen? wasn't being told to stop singing by a band member no, in the no. it sounded like just wow what a terrible dude. musician yeah. like he doesn't even know he's not supposed to sing in this part of the song <laughs> like you're really not just out really, of shape physically man? but like musically okay no. but it was somebody like from the venue or i mean yeah. not venue, but from the yeah from the festival from the the yeah from the festival an organizer or whatever and then all of a sudden the screens on the side of the stage flash like these bright you know bright red with white text and it said the national weather service has declared an emergency please evacuate the area immediately Mm -hmm. and then like this guy came on the loudspeaker and was like please evacuate immediately and they just rushed us out of this place like sheep i mean this was twenty thousand plus people and like i think a couple people touched my shoulder Uh, like pushed me to get out and i'm like dude what where do you think (laughs) we're all going the same (laughs) we're all leaving (laughs) 
And uh, they were like, you know, you can. We recommend you seek shelter in your car or in the gas station across the street. Okay. Or there's a there's another place called the factory that was right across the street. You just go into that one gas station. Yep. And go well. you know what? And about two seconds later, uh, they were shooing people out of the gas station. <laughs> the like, police no. showed up. Yeah, because a you've got like well over 500 people trying to fit in this gas station and b you got a bunch of drunk people who are buying <laughs> beers at the gas station but they're drinking the beers before they are able to get to the register so Fantastic. my buddy and i went to this building across the street called the factory which is kind of like an indoor shopping plaza thing and uh, we went in there but we we were denied access because it was overcrowded and so we like went kind of behind the area like to the side of it a little bit in this behind a restaurant kind of zone and it was like a three foot ceiling roof area and we saw shelter there meanwhile uh, it hadn't started raining at all like <laughs> the clouds it was kind of gray outside yeah so i don't know why everyone was freaking out about it but we went and sought shelter there, and then there were, like, these two nice old ladies who, you know, I gave up my seat for one of them because she was like, oh, we came down here from from Minnesota to, to watch the old Hosier. And Hosier was playing. <laughs> uh, they didn't sound like that at all. They weren't, they were like, like 100. They were just, They're just nice, sweet old ladies. They just trying to get taken to church. Yep. <laughs> and uh, then these, like, uh, a short time later, probably 20 minutes later, we're still standing there. I don't have any reception on my phone. I have no idea what's going on. I can't see the weather. I can't contact anybody. I can't call my wife. No clue what's happening. I hear ambulances and police cars. <laughs> oh I'm like, goodness. something bad is happening. So we're standing there, and then it starts to rain. After like 20 minutes, it does start to rain pretty heavy. But this was advertised as a rain or shine event, right? Oh. So, oh, yeah, it's, interesting. Yeah, they never said, like, we're going to cancel it if it rains. And no lightning had been spotted yeah. at this point. Uh, I guess lightning was spotted, like, two counties over. And even if that's the case, you wait 30 minutes after the lightning strike, and if nothing happens, then you resume, resume the thing. That didn't happen. So <laughs> we're standing there waiting on something to happen, and it's raining. And then a lot more people came and, like, tried to get under our cover. And uh, there were, like, these ten drunk redneck dudes who were all drinking Fantastic. beer. And they all had to pee, so they just, like, peed right in the corner. And then it smelled like pee. Fantastic. It was disgusting. <laughs> yep. So after about an hour of standing under this tiny little, like, shelter, I was finally able to get enough signal to call my wife. And I said, hey, can you just come get us? Uh, so she came and got us, and then we waited. Like, we were on our way home, and it was probably two hours later uh a that we got home because we had to sit in traffic and b that we got the news that they were just going to go ahead and cancel the rest of the night i'm like great so that was a waste oh and the people that uh sought shelter in their cars that paid 30 dollars for a parking pass they kept all of them there mandatory oh, they did not no. let them leave what, what do you mean they they forced people to stay in the parking lot they wouldn't let them go um apparently it, they, they released a statement saying it was due to civilian safety because they wanted uh, there were so many civilians walking around they didn't want anybody to get hurt which whatever but what i think it was is that they thought they would put the event on again and they didn't want to lose any money they or have people get upset money back, yeah exactly uh, which is exactly what happened. So the next day, nine o'clock comes rolling around, and they they sent out a message saying uh, it's canceled. We're not going to do Sunday, which is yeah. fine. I didn't buy a Sunday pass, well, yeah. but 
a lot of people did and a lot of people came from out of town to do it uh so i was like following the live feeds on the app and and the facebook feeds and everything like that and people were unhappy they're like did anybody get their money back is that was that a thing at all so yesterday mind you this happened this this event took place on saturday and yesterday yesterday is tuesday for context Yes, yes, yesterday is Tuesday, so three whole days later, they released a statement saying that uh, Sunday members, uh, Sunday pass buyers will get a full refund. Um, Two-day pass members who got both will get a 50% refund, and they don't know what they're going to do with Saturday-only members yet. That's so. I don't think I'm getting my money back, which is kind of like... That sucks. Crappy, because I didn't... Yeah, I didn't pay to go see those like daytime bands. Right. So, and neither did anybody else that was there. So that was my weekend. Man. I got to stand under a little shelter and watch grown <laughs> and men not pee. see Lionel Richie or Jack White. Festivals yep. honestly are like a huge risk, um, just fiscally really speaking. Are. There's uh, there was a podcast episode after. So again, it was the the guys from Emory. Um, and there was an episode after they'd finished playing a show or playing a festival that did just it was i think i don't know they'd just gotten big enough to like get a big band but they actually weren't big enough to really be able to sustain that big band mm-hmm. and so like none of the bands got paid pretty much so i think the big band was oh, no. disturbed and so they paid disturbed and then they started paying some of the other ones and then just like had to figure it was it was a, just a mess of a thing where it was like mm-hmm. we don't have just reserves of cash so like what what do they do but like obviously all the bands were mad and then mm-hmm. some of them came in and were like furious about it and other ones were like all right well could i at least have this 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 and this you know like this mm-hmm. amount of money and people were like uh, sure yeah whatever and they figured out <laughs> something later but mm-hmm. like that's just such a big risk of like this whole big thing, you know, and you need 10,000 people to come to this event to be able to, to make up. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And if that doesn't happen, like, or whatever, you know, it's, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, like I understand it's, it's nobody's fault. It's the weather, Yeah. but a, they advertise it as rain or shine and there right. was no lightning. Uh, so it wasn't really, you know, dangerous. Yeah. Uh, and B, yeah, you have to have some sort of backup plan in place. You can't force people to stay on property yeah. uh, by any means. Like, if people want to leave, they have every right to leave. And, yeah, like, you, you have to have some sort of shelter, like, prepared or somewhere for people to go if you're going to make them evacuate like that. I mean, the whole place was cleared out in 10 minutes flat. Like, it was, it was that big of a push to get everybody out of there. So... It was kind of just a disaster on somebody's part. Like somebody did not think it through well enough. Yeah. And yeah, it's a big risk. And I understand you obviously, you know, are are taking that risk when you plan these things. But that makes me wonder, like, wouldn't you try as yeah. hard as you possibly could to keep this thing going? Right. Well, yeah, exactly. And, and not only that, but like, it's not like the forecast doesn't exist. <laughs> it's not yeah. like we don't have mm-hmm. a weather channel that's a, that has you know a, a seven day forecast or something, and you look at that and say, "Oh crap! Like <laughs> it's, it's going to rain bad. all next week. Like it's nothing but thunderclouds, and for sun yeah. like Saturday until next Thursday, like it might do something. There's a hurricane mm-hmm. happening. It might do mm-hmm. something. People like, knew it was going to rain. This wasn't yeah. unexpected. Well, yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. So if you're going to advertise it as rain or shine and you pretty much know it's going to rain and you mm-hmm. just don't prepare for the eventuality <laughs> that it's going to rain, that 
it's yeah. just absurd to me. No, exactly. Yeah. So I listened this week to uh, a pirate <laughs> to not band, Lionel Richie or Jack White. <laughs> I did not listen to Lionel Richie or Jack White this week, oh, but I did get to hear the marvelous pirate band. And then I got there was a guy who came on afterwards at the kids' stage, and he did nothing but songs about chocolate, and that was really fun. Fantastic. So I got to listen to Chocolate Guy, and uh, Dolls oh, was good. Dolls was there. I don't know if you guys listened oh, to Dolls. Dolls is at all, awesome. Yeah, yeah, they were there. I've we seen saw Dolls them three times. I think. Oh, nice. So that was a good set. It wasn't like completely, you know, worthless waste of time. But you know, nobody got their money worth. Well, yeah, no, no, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. what about you, Parker? Yeah, I. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I've got a bunch of stuff. I listened to my Discover Weekly last week and this week, and compared to whatever other week I was, I was talking about it, where I was like, "Man, it was just a bunch of bunch of garbage." It was actually a bunch of really, really good songs um, both of those <laughs> weeks. So that was very nice. I thoroughly have been enjoying that. Um, prior to that, actually, there was one that I was like, "Oh, this will be a fun way to have found a band where." Um, Ashley and I watched the show Limitless that it's on Netflix. It only has one season mm-hmm. and it's only ever going to have one season. Um, I like, it just got canceled. It was a, I don't know, TBS show or C- mm. something, whatever. I don't know what channel it was on, but, <laughs> um, but the main character like listens to some metal or whatever. And there was one episode where it just kind of ended with him laying on the couch and there was some metal playing in the background. And I was like, this is kind of cool. And so I looked up what song it was and I found the band and the song started. And I was like, yeah, I really, I really dig this. This is awesome. And then the vocals came in and I was like, man, so close. <laughs> it Solid was, start. yeah, it sounded like it was like progressive metal kind of thing, but like kind of progressive, uh, I don't know, death metal or something, which is entirely fine or like, and fairly technical and stuff. But then the screaming was just not up my alley at all. It was just mm. really yep. bland, like kind of pig squeal kind of stuff, and oh, just yeah. not mm-hmm. interesting in the least. So yeah. not, I was not really my thing. No, and I just yeah. So I kind of gave up on that. I was like, <laughs> I had added both of the both of their albums to my library just in hopes. Oh, yeah. Listen to <laughs> and it, and you just and went just back the other way. Them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there, that was that one. Um, what it, was their name? It was here. Let me see. Um, labyrinth constellation so yeah and the song was that is a oh, bold sorry. band name no that's i was wrong that's the that's the album name uh, artificial brain okay. artificial brain oh. is the band name well, so yep enough. yeah there you go and that kind of stuff but i guess the, that works for limitless yeah no i mean it, <laughs> kind of kind of along that same theme yeah Good point. <laughs> uh man so that, that was fun but uh you really what i've been listening to is so again in my discover weekly there is a band called chinese football There were a bunch that I that I listened to and really liked, so I can I can name a bunch of those off, I guess. But uh, Chinese football is it felt like classic 2006 emo in the best way. Like um, <laughs> reminded really enjoyed me their album art too. Yeah, it was it was fun. Well, and so and what's interesting is they're actually a Chinese band. All their lyrics are in Chinese, but it's not. I don't pay attention to lyrics anyway, and. It kind of sounds, if I wasn't paying attention, I just wouldn't know that it wasn't in English, I guess, because it doesn't, it doesn't feel like super, 
I mean, there's some stuff that, like, Chad, you've shown us that just feels like this is very Asian. <laughs> like, yeah, it is yeah. aggressively <laughs> Asian. Yeah, whereas this is, you know, he's just singing like a normal guy. It's not like... Not, not to say that Haitians couldn't sing like a normal guy, but just in the sense of it's not, it, it doesn't feel like overperformed, which, whereas some of the other times it does. Um, and so it's kind of garage Rocky emo, you know, um, huh. sort of Jimmy Eat World ish. It reminds me a little bit of that, just in the, uh, I don't know, harmonies and things. So it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. The song was Dirty mm-hmm. Dog, I think, um, mm, or like Do- Dog's Diary is what it was. Okay. I'm pretty sure yeah, it had something to do with the dog. <laughs> yep. So um, it, what's funny is that it kind of sounds like yep. uh, Amer. You guys know the band American Football? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, Chinese. Yeah. yeah but they kind of fit in that. Based on what Parker's describing, that kind of sounds funny. like they fit in the exact same huh. like genre there. Yeah, definitely kind of similar. Interesting. Like garage rock emo type stuff. Yep. Mm. So that that was that one. Um, one other one that I just heard today was, and I, I Matt, I mentioned this one to you or to mm-hmm. I posted it on my Facebook page because it was just really really good. Um, it, the artist is Jacob Man Big Band, and I I haven't listened to anything else by them. The song's called Hold Music, and I don't know what the rest of their stuff sounds like, but this was like kind of a small jazz band. So, I mean, it's called big band, but like it was small for a big band, big for a combo. Um, Mm. But doing kind of like math rocky sort of stuff in a, in a really cool way. I I don't know. I only listened to it the one time, but it was so good and I need to go back and listen to it again. (laughs) So good. So yeah. So good. So good. Um, Yeah. There, there was a ton of stuff on my discover weekly that I just really, really enjoyed. So that was a whole lot of fun. I've got a lot of stuff to check out now. So, yeah, yeah, that's what we've been listening to. You guys want to get into our topic for the day? Let's do I it. Think let's, so. do, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So, this week we are talking about sophomore records. Um, specifically, sophomore slump was the original thing I was going on, going no. for. Wow. But that's not always the case, it turns out. <laughs> so, I kind of went pretty opposite yeah. to that, actually. <laughs> yeah. That's well, because we, we didn't ever specifically yep. say like sophomore slump. Mm-hmm. We did and not. So, I was like, oh, so I actually kind of went with it the other way. And, and this is what I was alluding to earlier. Yeah. What I really wanted to do with this topic was pick only bands that I knew from their first album and then picked a second album that came Mm. out that I really liked. What I realized is that I have very few bands that I listened to the first album (laughs) and then continued listening to them after the second album. (laughs) I have a lot of bands that I like that have multiple albums. That's fine. It's just I didn't have as many that I was like, man, I really like that second. So Mm. I think only one of them I actually like knew from their first album on and the other two I came in around the second album. So mine... Or so originally, you're right. I actually didn't ever mention sophomore slump to you guys because by that, by the time that I was thinking we'll talk about sophomore albums, I was like, you know what? Let's I'll broaden it so that we're not just talking about sophomore slump. But that's just a thing that you know comes up sometimes. So my, I actually have one kind of from each category ish where most of my library the second albums were kind of the ones where they started to kind of perfect their craft or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, just, and I'll talk about it a little bit more in detail, but so I've got a couple of those, but then also one where I feel like the second album wasn't, or I've got two where I feel like the second album wasn't quite as great. Um, to start us out though, I did look up a list of, 
of sophomore slumps just because that seemed like it would be fun. And so this is one that somebody else put together and I don't know if I would even know to agree with any of these, but whatever, because I just don't know most of them. I mean, well, I know who they are, but I, so for example, Snoop Dogg, apparently his debut album, The Chronic Doggy Style was really Mm -hmm. good. And his sophomore album, Dog Father was not good. Um, Yep. Uh, Franz Ferdinand. He's really hurting for yeah. it. <laughs> oh, Franz Ferdinand. Apparently yeah. their second album, not nearly as good as their first, supposedly. It it did not do as well, for sure. They really dropped off the map after that one came out. Uh, I think the second album had uh, Do 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 You Wanna, I think is what that song was called. Hmm. And that was the only song that I really heard much of from that second album. Interesting. Uh, whereas they had a lot of hits off the first They sure one, did. So. Um, also, <laughs> Puff Daddy, Hootie and the Blowfish, Raekwon, Weezer, I guess. Um, um, I want yeah, that's one I wanted to talk about. Oh, uh, oh, really? <laughs> so uh, this is sophomore Here, slump albums. Yeah, let's hop into uh, it. Go for it. This is okay, sophomore so, slump albums. Yeah. Okay, so Weezer's uh, uh, first album was their self-titled album, or you know, I guess the Blue album, uh, whatever. And that was a great record because it obviously put them on the map. But then they released Pinkerton a year later. And uh, critics panned that album right away, uh, mainly because this was the 90s, which <laughs> I mean, like 90s music was at its all time high of like what we think of now is like 90s music. It was right. It, like that was the mainstream. So anything else was just crappy. And Weezer put out this album that was a complete departure from like the like post grunge like heavy garage kind of sound and uh i mean just listening to the opening track on that album pinkerton you get the sense of right away like no this isn't gonna sound anything like the first album did and everyone hated it and it scared rivers cuomo so much the the negative reviews that he stopped writing music like that uh and then years later uh everyone kind of woke up and realized that pinkerton is without doubt the best weezer album and now i think more people regard it as like the only really good weezer album i mean their first album is great but like everything after pinkerton just got worse and worse and now i mean weezer is just a meme band like that's all they really are i've never really listened they just make jokes about stuff really never listened to weezer at all but i i've heard of heard about pinkerton more than i've heard about any of the other ones for sure yeah, I mean, it, it, it got, like, especially with the rise of, I guess, underground music and, like, indie stuff, everyone started to take more notice of it, and they thought, and they realized, like, hey, this is a really solid album, and it's it's weird, and it's a total departure from, you know, anything else that really had ever come before it. Uh, so, I, it, for me, when I, when I first listened to it, it was definitely one of those albums that took a couple times for me to really get it, because I felt the same way at first. I thought, eh, this is kind of crappy. Um but then, yeah, I think it's one of those albums that, like, it has to grow on you and you have to, like, forget that the first album exists and just, like, act like that's one of the first ones. But, yeah, it, it's still mm-hmm. even now, obviously, like, that list, some people say it's their sophomore slump because it didn't really chart. None of the songs charted. There's not really a hit on the album. And when they released later albums, there were a lot of hits on those and they were big songs and everyone like they, they got their popularity back because they stuck to more cookie cutter type songs, which is kind of sad, but you know, that's interesting too. I wonder with, I mean, so that list, I I didn't know. I don't know the content really of any of those. So it's hard to say Mm -hmm. for sure. But I, I typically, I think 
what had taught me about sophomore slumps specifically was I was like 14 maybe, I don't know. And I was with my family, we were driving in Austria and we were listening to Jars of Clay their <laughs> their first album which i listened to like i know back to front super well and then i think we listened to a little bit of the third album but then we talked about the fact that we don't really listen to their second album and i was like why don't we listen to their second album and it was <laughs> and it, then kind of the conversation came up about kind of sophomore slumps and why that would be so specifically with that one we talked about like it seems like there's a lot of bands where their first album, they've got years to collect songs and build right. up this repertoire and like nix all this stuff and then put all of that on one album. And then they've got two years to write another album, which is the exact same time that they're touring a lot and, you know, doing mm-hmm. all this stuff that's completely new to them. And yeah. I, what's interesting, just a side note, I'm kind of throwing all my thoughts off the wall at at the beginning here, so like, whatever, I'll be out of things to say later. But what's interesting is Hopefully. that um, most of the bands that I listen to, I, I feel like that might have been the case, but they didn't really gain their popularity on their first album. They actually gained their popularity on their second album by way of their first right. one, because their first one was kind of self-recorded or, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing, to where the second one, they actually had more budget and time to work on it compared to the first one Uh, all that to say so smaller bands like that are more in the indie or underground scene as much as owl metal i guess is kind of underground comparatively compared to Mm -hmm. bands on major record labels where they have like contractual obligations you need to put out an album in two years (laughs) so then Mm -hmm. and that was kind of 30 seconds to mars's thing mm, because they didn't come out they were supposed to come out with like three albums in three years and they just didn't interesting they got they got kind of reamed on a contract on that man. One. So yeah, I mean, I think that's that just you know happens. It's like yeah, you got to put out some music. Like, write some, get some music together, bro. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it's a big make something yeah. happen. It doesn't have to be good, but if you're on a contract, just yeah. put something out. So there. I'll actually, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna skip. I I don't have I pulled an example for Jars of Clay's second album, but I, I legitimately haven't listened to it to where I just pulled something completely random. So it's not going to be helpful particularly to listen to. So I'm only going to use my two examples from my other ones later, but I would have used an example here. It just doesn't seem worth it. But yeah, that was just interesting to think about is when they, you know, bands that just have had less time because they're, they blew up from their first album, mm-hmm. just did not have the time of day to really like sit down and contemplate over the second album. They're just having to get something out there. Um, I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. What are you guys thoughts on that? I think that? that happened a lot with the, the like indie rock thing that happened in the mid two thousands because the internet was starting to become like a major force for music exposure and for people discovering new music and a way to get your music out there to a lot of people. I mean, like the Arctic Monkeys were huge on that. That's why their first album exploded the way that it did because they were very on top of mm-hmm. internet marketing. And I mean, like Franz Ferdinand, the Fratelli is just like this long list of indie rock bands that had huge first albums and then totally dropped off and we never heard from them yep. again. The Arctic Monkeys like had some other stuff later, but they also changed their sound pretty dramatically yeah. after their second album too, mm-hmm. especially. But um, yeah, I think that really did happen a lot yeah. with that genre. I think being being like an, an indie band, especially, 
you can either be blessed or cursed with your your first album. First of all, I think it's important as a band starting out to be prepared for that second album. Like, you know, if you know that inevitably you're going to want to make a second one, then don't don't work don't use up all your good exactly songs. don't use up all your good <laughs> yeah. songs like if you if you if you're an artist and you know you're good and you write 10 good songs and you throw them all on the first album then you have nowhere to go but down after that really i mean like yes you can continue to write good songs but if you spent so long writing these 10 songs and perfecting these 10 songs and then you put that out and it gets somewhat popular now you're stuck because you don't have mm-hmm. the time to write 10 more really good songs whereas let's say you even write 20 songs 20 good songs and then you just put you split them up so uh, yeah and then by the time that second record comes around you're good and it'll still be good and i mean then then there comes into the question of like evolving your sound and you know how is the second going to be different than the first which people want it to be but it's definitely not what easy. Does good mean? I think yeah, and that's, what does good mean? Yeah, that was going to be my next point too of just i feel like if you blow up from your first album, then your second one, you're trying to catch lightning in a bottle again. Right. And you're trying to replicate that and cater to people and what they're expecting of you. And so I feel like, mm-hmm. especially if any, most of the time, I don't know, or a lot of times, if somebody blows up in popularity, there's some kind of element of gimmick that's involved, uh, like a little yes. bit. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. that's something we, Ashley and I were just watching um, some America's Got Talent videos yesterday. And I was mm-hmm. thinking about those a little bit more today. And you just, so many of those performances, their first one is amazing. By the time they get to their last one, it's just not interesting anymore because they've used up the gimmick. Because they're one trick pony. Exa- yeah, exactly. Which is like, I mean, it it's kind of sucks that they're penalized for that because it's mm-hmm. really cool that they can do that thing. But when you have to perform within a you know a week back to back, this new like come up with something new like that's really rough. Um, so mm-hmm. I feel like again, if your first album is what popularizes you, then then you feel a lot more pressure to bring that back around the second time. Whereas if your first album kind of starts to launch your career, but you still feel a lot of freedom to change it up, mm-hmm. like most of the bands that. Um, that I listened to and that I was looking at uh, on my Spotify and that I would bring up, I guess their sophomore albums evolved their sound from the first one. Cause I feel like they still had room that they felt comfortable growing and trying some different things and didn't really feel too constrained to, you know, pleasing the 30 people that were in the room for mm-hmm. each of their concerts for their first tour. Right. Um, yeah. And they're like, no, we can just do some different stuff and maybe we'll get some more people and that'll be fine. Um, so mm-hmm. actually, you know what, let me go ahead and jump into one of those examples to get us started. The, um, so this one is May. Um, I've, I've actually got a really long list of, of artists like this, but um, but but May was one of them, where their first album is Destination Beautiful. It took Dave Elkins and their bassist, I think, um, who mm-hmm. was, I can't remember his name, but they recorded Destination Beautiful over a period of like three years in their bassist basement, who was just learning how to record stuff and just tried a whole bunch of fairly odd ways of doing it. Because I, I want to say there was at least one song where they could only record one mic for the drums at a time so they recorded hmm. just the kick for the whole song or something like that and just God, something no weird like that the idea of that. it sounds awful uh, yeah um and, and i could be wrong or maybe it was something along those lines in any case but but yeah their first album is is great but it's also a little bit more down earth um 
because it was just recorded in kind of a more low key way. And then it, it did really well. And then they recorded the Everglow, which was their next album. But this one was, they had way more budget because it was, you know, they were getting popular and they had a record label and, and all that kind of stuff. And it actually, this was, is definitely what has been their most popular album, except for one song. Like if you look at them on Spotify, um, Embers and Envelopes is their most popular song, which is off their first album. But I think this one was just the most commercially successful in any case. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, let's check this one out. Uh, this is Suspension off of the Everglow. mid 2000s music yeah that sounds very, but i mean like uh, it sounds 2000s. good like it it's obviously better well it's it's more well recorded than sitting in a bassist basement mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly so i i don't know i feel like other other bands here i can just roll through my spotify real quick look at my artists and um other examples that i feel were kind of like this um well, as cities burn is a bit different. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> uh, but let's see. There was uh, the classic crime. I feel like was like that. There's a bunch that I'm not going to talk about because you guys may have brought them up. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. There's some other ones. Devil Wears Prada. Plagues was technically kind of their Devil second. Devil Wears Prada is touring again or doing live stuff now. They he- just. Yeah, they're um, on something. I think they're also signing to Solid State Records, which is interesting because that's different. Because they were always not on Solid State. Uh, yeah, interesting stuff. But I don't know. I'm just going through here. There's uh, he is legend. Same thing. Blah blah blah. Whatever. Yeah, I just thought that was interesting. That I was expecting to go in finding a bunch of sophomore slumps because it's something I've just assumed and thought about for a long time. Mm-hmm. That that was kind of the way it went. But I I feel like it happens a lot of times more with um, with stuff that the first thing is just a huge commercial success. And so yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, what do you guys think? Um, I'll so I'll I'll go next and I'll I'll say like I. I understand where like sophomore slump kind of comes from and it's funny because when I say like I didn't have that many artists that I listened to their first album and then continued listening to their second album it's not because I felt like they had a sophomore slump necessarily it's just a lot of times it was I got really into their first album and then just never took the Mm -hmm. time to listen to anything else they ever did like Interpol is that way for (laughs) me I really love Turn On The Bright Lights and then just I've literally never listened to anything else I've ever done. Uh, intentionally, anyways. I've probably heard some of their other songs. He's I, I know there's like times where I'm like, oh, that's Interpol because his voice is very recognizable mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, but this, this, so the first band that I'm going to talk about uh, is actually, it does fit into that category of I listened to them when they're, it was just their first album and pretty close to when it came out. And then when their second album came out, I was like, cool, this is also super good. Mm-hmm. And that band is the gorillas. <laughs> nice. I've talked about them a couple of times now. Um, but I, so I, you know, I was really young when the gorillas came out mm-hmm. and like, um, I, I mean, fairly young. I was like 
12 or 13. Um, so, I mean, I, I was like aware that that music was there and really their first album, like from a casual listening standpoint, only has a few songs that are probably would be something that a casual listener would want to listen to because it is just all over the place. Uh-huh. Like it, it's not very cohesive at all. Um, so when Demon Days came out, it was very, very different than that. Um, all, all of the songs were way more, it, it, from like the way that I could see it, way more well thought out uh-huh. and much better like put together. And the album as a whole seemed a little bit more structured, and they had you know, more intentional guests and, and just more of a like message that they were putting out with every song. So it wasn't just like this collection of random stuff that Damon Auburn was recording over, you know, however long Mm -hmm. it was a very concerted effort to do a thing. And, and, you know, part of that is that it was Damon Auburn. And for a lot of this one, uh, for a lot of demon days, it was danger mouse who was doing a lot at the time. And I mean, he helped produce and like kind of helped record a lot of that album. And so it sort of has a lot of his influence on it too. If you listen to things like broken bells or gnarls Barkley, and then listen to demon days, you'll hear a lot of similarities because everything danger mouse touches kind of has this like similar quality uh a lot of the kind of like retro synth sounds mm-hmm. and some dub elements or whatever yeah uh, but yeah so yeah go ahead. I, I i like danger mouse a lot and I, I like i think what he does with his producing is uh, he's very good at it i mm-hmm. i think he ruins the black keys as a band for me because <laughs> uh, he started producing them on their album attack and release and that yep. was the first album that you you started hearing like you know more than just blues rock more like weird noises yeah like <laughs> you got a lot more synths a lot more like electronic drums and that just doesn't work for uh you know a two-piece blues rock band from akron ohio it's definitely different yeah but i do like danger mouse a lot and, and I, I i give a lot of credit to that album to him for i mean because so much of that sound is coming directly from like his influence i think yeah um, so I actually made kind of a super cut of three different songs off of Demon Days. Um, and it, it it's just kind of a little showcase of a lot of the, it, that album still has a lot of different styles kind of going on. The three cl- the three cuts that I took um, aren't necessarily well, two of them are kind of two of the bigger songs off the album. Uh, uh, Feel Good Inc. and Dare. Um, which all of them still have a very like electronic feel with some real instruments kind of mixed in there and everything. There are tracks that have more hip hop elements. Like I talked about November has come a couple weeks back. Mm-hmm. That's just like a straight rap song. Um, but all three of these are just like really cool melodies, really cool songs. Uh, the first one's kids with guns, then feel good ink and then dare. The album's just got a lot of groove, a lot of really cool songs, mm-hmm. and I think it's super good. And it's got some like conceptual stuff in there too. It's got a a really weird intro track and kind of a weird like three song track at the end um, that sort of tells a story and then has like a huge mm-hmm. chorus and it's just uh, like a choir um, and it's just really cool. It's a super cool album. Hmm. So yeah, yeah. and a super yeah. influential album too. 
Mm-hmm. Hmm. Cool. Uh, well, for my first one, I I, I went with uh, another band that I've talked about on this show before, uh, LCD Sound System. So I think one of the uh, perks to being an indie band is that you can you can put out a, a first album, and I mean, if you're truly indie, I mean, nowadays I guess indie is more of like a uh, name than anything else, like a description. But if you're, <laughs> it's a genre. It's like yeah, it's a genre. Yeah. But like if you're a true independent band, then you don't have to, you know, you don't have to sign the big contracts, and you're not obligated to do really anything else. You can just put out whatever else, whenever you else, whenever you else, uh, <laughs> whenever you want. When are you? When are you else get back here? You can come and have some moonshine. <laughs> um, and that's exactly what LCD Sound System did. So uh, they released their first album, self-titled, uh, in 2003, and uh, it's it's mostly James Murphy who does all of the instrumentation. And that's another pro is that uh, if you're if you're like a band, but there's one person that's you know the main songwriter that's a lot less stress than like trying to, you know, like that person is going to continue making that sound, uh, more, more often than not, I think, especially on a second record. Uh, but when you have all the time in the world and you could just make something really cool that you enjoy, that's what LCD sound systems first record is. And it's a great record. There's a lot of really good songs, but it's really just that a collection of kind of like random songs and, they're good and but there there are some some slow moments in the record there are some songs that don't like you know we could have left out three or four of those songs and it still would have been okay like there you know there were there was a lot of unnecessary stuff in it i think um but when they released their second album uh sound of silver that's where i think they really like hit their stride um they first of all gained so much more popularity uh, from this record because it had uh, New York I Love You But You're Bringing Me Down on it which is the closing song which is probably one of the biggest indie rock songs of all time uh, but there are three particular songs on this record and I should have done a super cut but I didn't uh, that I think are some of like it, it, it's the best like cohesive three songs in a row that I've ever heard on an album like these three songs are just so perfect and they just blend together so well they're they don't like transition it into one another they're just three songs that are placed on this album so well and it's tracks three four and five um and it starts with north american scum and it goes into someone great and then track number five is all my friends and the reason that these songs i think are so great is because even though they're not really similar in any ways uh or don't really share the same musical themes they kind of tell a story uh and i got that from the first time that i listened to them in a row so north american scum is kind of dealing with the idea of knowing that you're like a nobody knowing that you're like kind of you're not special and you're not important but you're young and you're going to make the most of your life and you're just gonna like party and have a good time and do whatever because you have all these great friends and you know, whatever. Uh, so uh, kind of like living in New York. And that's what James Murphy was writing the song about. It's like, you know, him being young and like living in New York for the first couple of years that he did. Um, and then the second song, Someone Great, is sort of about like losing those friends over time and like getting your life together. But yeah, and how like that's great. But then you sort of lose that old life that you have and then all my friends is just a pure nostalgic song it's about like missing those people and realizing that you 
you it feels like you made the wrong decisions and like you kind of wish you could go back and and reconnect with all those people and live that life that you once lived and i think i i don't know if that was intentional but that's totally the vibe that these songs get up give off and not to mention they're just super like beat tasty songs i mean north american scum <laughs> has like the coolest little synth riff you'll you'll ever hear and uh like a super solid drum beat so i i brought forward a sample from that um it's uh the song is north american scum and this is the very very beginning of it so if you guys want to take a listen That's the song. Yeah. I, I really enjoy this this album. I think it, it it definitely shines more than the first album. Um, as far as the the next record that the band would put out, that uh, kind of goes into a little bit of a slump. It's still a really good album, <laughs> but I do think that like it it kind of I guess just to talk about this a little bit like yeah the second album might be really good or really bad but then the third album i think really proves the band's chops like if a band is first of all if if they stay together long enough to put out a third album yeah which for the majority of bands never ever happens but if you are like lucky and good and talented or whatever enough to put out a third album like if that one's any good then then yeah you're 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 a good band (laughs) i think the it's interesting too, because it's, it's hard to really come like put across, you know, what albums sound like by just showing individual songs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and also within the like slump or not slump conversation, I guess to me what that it's like deal or no deal <laughs> exactly slump or not slump. <laughs> uh, to me, what that means too is like, I, is the second album or is you know any music or whatever like is it inspired or is it forced? Um, exactly. And so I feel yeah, like totally get that. there's, you know, a lot of the good, yeah, the good ones are just that they're inspired. So it's not even a question of, there's definitely albums that are popular that wouldn't fall on. I mean, Weezer was a perfect example that you gave earlier is that that one Pinkerton maybe was, was more inspired than their other albums have been, but mm-hmm. it was a slump. It was, you know, not a commercial success in the same way. Mm-hmm. But that's not to say that it was a bad album. So I think, you know, it's, um, and it's, it's, it's very subjective. Right. It, it is subjective. There's some amount of objectivity to whether or not, I guess it seems like it's inspired or seems genuine or whatever. Like that's, it, that's not, that's not objective, but it's, it's kind of a little bit more in the middle compared to just like, is it good or not? You know, I guess, cause you'd be yeah. able to tell he's like, is there soul behind it? And somebody could be like, yeah, there's soul behind mm-hmm. it. I just don't like it. <laughs> and that's, Oh yeah. yeah that's no, valid. I mean, there, I'm sure there's tons yeah. of albums and, and you can still make the argument that an album that sounds soulless, you know, somebody will say, no, that's, that's super soulful. They put so much time and effort into it. I, I mean, we yeah. don't know. And sometimes you, you put did, too much know. time and effort into it and you overthink it. <laughs> and actually, you know, that's I'm going to hop into my next example and then I'm just not going to have a third one to give later on. But, um, this one, 
granted, I haven't listened to this album nearly as much and I haven't given it much of a shot, but um, uh, Animals as Leaders' second album yeah, yeah is <laughs> is not I don't feel as inspired as his as their first third or fourth or just as any of the other ones um yeah and a lot of what it is is uh, animals as leaders I feel like helped pioneer the instrumental progressive metal uh genre kind of as it is today in in so many ways obviously you know technical metal and instrumental stuff existed beforehand so it's you know but putting it kind of in not in the same way right exactly (laughs) so i think just creating they like you know they started that niche more or less and or or helped start it in any case or popularized it so that now there is a whole subsect you know you can go to a show and there's 200 people listening to this really technical music with no vocals really inaccessible yes, it's like it's not accessible music not in at any all way. and so that's the thing that yeah there's a lot of people yeah that like and it. like you know i feel like vocals always make something more accessible so like between the barrier to me does really technical stuff and then there's lots of bands that do really technical stuff dream theater does really technical stuff but i mean that's a different a terrible scene. yes <laughs> but you know some of that i think you you are able to just appreciate or understand or like come it's more accessible if there's vocals and so the yeah sure. instrumental side animals as leaders kind of pioneered that blah 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 mm-hmm. their first uh, <laughs> their first album was really just tosin Abasi, uh right wrote the guitar and bass parts and then uh misha mansoor from periphery programmed periphery. all the drum yeah. parts for it which is fine whatever and I and, and I feel like it was it's fairly melodic um, and also very technical. And then when it came around to the second album, it was two years later. And the first one was 2009, second one was 2011. And the way it sounds to me is that Tosin and Posse felt like, oh man, I just got to outdo myself. And mm-hmm. I've just got to write stuff that's more complicated and stuff that's more impressive. Yeah. <laughs> And kind of lost some of the soul and just a lot of the melodic aspects that were uh, melodic and harmonic stuff that was present throughout, you know, some of the songs in the first album. So this is just the opening track on the second album. And again, I haven't actually listened to it all that much. I just remember listening to it once or twice back in the day and being like, "Mm," a little bit soulless. So... Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah, I um off the top of my head I actually forgot what this song's called, but let's find out so that I can give it um the credit that it is due. Um an infinite regression is the name of the song. Oh, so yeah, let's <laughs> check this one out. Notes there's a whole lot of stuff <laughs> a going whole on. A lot of notes. And I, I don't know. I mean, it's not to say that there's obviously melody in there, but it feels a little bit more like scales practice 
than it does yeah. like let me sing you a song with my guitar. <laughs> yeah, he's he's running patterns as opposed mm-hmm. to playing a melody. Right. I mean, yep. And it just feels like, yeah, and there's a lot of songs that are built off of kind of technical ideas more so than built off of melodic ideas, which is fine. And also, Mm -hmm. you know, this is, uh, I mean, he he keeps doing that to to this day as well, Uh, not in a bad way, but, you know, still has some just technical things like the double thumbing thing that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, that's not melodic at all. That's just a technical thing. But he, he incorporates it as well in melodic areas and whatever and... I don't know. So yeah, I felt like this was a good example of something that the first album actually, again, kind of was just a big success, probably not to the, you know, to the degree that he was expecting. And then again, he felt like, you know, maybe had to catch lightning in a bottle or whatever, but it was in a different way. It was like the technical prowess more so than anything else. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it was it was a very different thing, too, because when he released the first album, like, he was coming out of playing with Born of Osiris or right. whatever, and, like, always playing as part of a band, and not usually, like, bands that I think he started. Like, it was always just kind of, like, somebody else's project that he's just playing guitar for because he's yep. amazing. Um, and then this was the first time that it's, like, I've had a bunch of the ideas kicking around for a while, and I'm going to put them down, and then Misha Mansour kind of helped him, like, refine it into something. Mm-hmm. And then that second time it was kind of like, well, do I want to be a solo actor? Do I want to have like a band and, and do stuff? And I think it was still kind of that middling ground yeah. before he had uh, Javier and Matt Gartsky yep. and everything. No, you're so right. I'm pretty like, sure that second album was still just him and he didn't get the rest of the bands yeah. to tour with until, yeah, after that second album, before the Joy of Motion. Of Motion yeah. or whatever. Yep. Hmm. Hey, you guys want to take a break for a second? Yeah. Let's do it. And we're back. So yeah, back, sophomore back, back. albums. This is the sophomore part of our of this podcast. <laughs> oh, I meant to I meant to say earlier. Do you guys know what sophomore means in um, Greek? I think it's originally. It means uh, I want more softs. That's exact. It actually Probably. is more airsoft. Yeah. It's about guns. Okay. More airsoft. Yeah, it's, wow. it's about, it's about airsoft know. guns. It actually no. So sophos is knowledge, and more is fool. Like um, uh, like really moron or whatever. Something like that. I could oh. be wrong on the specifics, <laughs> but it's something along those lines. And it means wise fool because it's somebody who like if you think of a sophomore in high school, it's like they know a little bit, but they're also mm. kind of really dumb still. <laughs> Like, they think they're on top of it, but not so So here's much. my question. Enough to be dangerous. Yeah, exactly. Why did, why did we decide that sophomore, we're, we're going to make that the term for the 10th grader, uh, but junior, we were going to make that the term for 11th grader, you know, yeah. junior is in the small one, and then senior as in the old one. Maybe upper class, <laughs> maybe like junior and senior used to be, cause like school used to be split up differently a like lot of times. Yeah, I mean, maybe like juniors and seniors was it was its own thing. So like you went to trade mm. school or you kept going in school school. And so well, then junior like and senior, yeah, was like, you know, tiered separately so that if you were going to do those two years of school, it was a junior and senior year of like that subset of high school. Right. And so, but then maybe sixth grade through 10th grade was, you know, was its own separate thing or something like mm-hmm. that. I don't know. Maybe. I'm just kind of making stuff up, but it yeah. sounds really know, smart it to me. Very smart. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this has been our etymology podcast. I am a wise fool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, well, good cool. times. I will. Uh, I will go ahead and kick us off here. Heck yeah, uh, man! My second example. Um, so this one, I wanted to kind of pick a band that changed a lot from their first to second album, mm. and mm. and I. So I, I'm mostly talking about people that I have talked about before on the podcast, but in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. for this one, I kind of had to pick Broken Social Scene. Because, nice. um, man, they're, they had a huge uh, flip-flop from between the first and second albums. I mean, there are similarities, but at the core of it, their first album was a very spacey, very ambient instrumental album. Mm-hmm. With like a little bit of spoken word vocals that were very like background, and it was like a ambient cafe kind of like vocals it's not really like poetry or something like that um and Hmm. so it it's very soothing and it's really enjoyable and i like it a lot but it's it's not like play for a rock band kind of music i don't know it it just it is its own thing and it's wonderful but Uh when it came time for them to do their second album they just went in a whole different direction and actually wrote like somewhat structured songs and had vocals and like had a band instead of just being kevin drew and brendan canning doing pretty much everything on the first album they added a whole slew of new people uh andrew whiteman playing guitar and leslie feist singing on a lot of it and all kinds of things and so several of the uh the bigger broken social scene songs that came out from that band to begin with like uh anthem for a 17 year old or whatever and then uh, mm-hmm. which was in scott pilgrim and uh which is on netflix was... now by the way oh dang <laughs> i had no idea mm-hmm. uh the other one is but almost crimes that's the other kind of big one that they've had some radio success with um, but yeah, it was just a very different album overall. And so for the uh, sound clip that I did, the supercut this time, I actually included a little bit of a song from their first album called I Slept With Bonham at the CNC. I, no clue. Um, <laughs> and the, uh, the second and third songs are both from uh, You Forgot It and People, which was their second album. And it's listed incorrectly on Spotify because it says they were released the same year. And so You Forgot It and People is actually listed first. That is incorrect. Uh, Feel Good Lost was their first album. Hmm. Um, There's a couple things on Spotify that are like that. that Yeah, Spotify does that a lot with the dates. I actually tweeted at... uh, (laughs) I went to go check out Emery's new song recently, and I was like, also, here's this other song that says it's by Emery, and I listened to it, and it was straight up some hip-hop artist. It was like, (laughs) living legend Mm -hmm. with Emery. And I I (laughs) tweeted at Emery. I took a screenshot, and I was like, hey, yo... Uh, you guys sound real Not different. <laughs> and yeah. the, one of the guys, or they liked it, and then I went back today and checked it out, and it's not there anymore. So oh, yeah, that's funny. Uh, oh, nice. And I commented on my own comment or tweet, and I was like, uh, probably somebody pointed this out to you already, but you might want to get in touch with Spotify. <laughs> yeah. So it looks like they did. Uh, yeah, another one out. The album leaf, their album "Chorus of Storytellers" is listed on Spotify as coming out a in 1993. Oh, B, it's listed as their first album. That is not correct at all. A "Chorus of Storytellers" <laughs> was released in like 2013 or something. <laughs> like it, hmm. it wasn't that long ago. Yep. Uh, but anyways, so this is this is C2, and like I said, this is. Uh, a song from their first album just to kind of give you an example and then it's stars and suns and almost crimes from you forgot it in people
Yeah, definitely that first one. So the first one <laughs> was from the first album, and the other two mm-hmm. were from there. Okay. Yeah, definitely yeah. a rock band in the second two, and not quite the <laughs> oh, same yeah. in that definitely first changes one. Changes a little bit, especially if that first one is actually you know representative of what pretty much the whole album is kind of really like. Is. Yeah, so I mean, at that it, point, it's, it's like completely different. Yeah, it, it's like eleven or twelve songs of pretty much like that, like very just ambient like soundscapes. Yeah, and that's very then, interesting. Like I, I I meant to ask this question earlier, but it kind of makes me think of you know how often does a band come up with the first album and put music like that out in hopes to just kind of get their name out there with like easy mm-hmm. songs. I mean, I, I guess like I would call those easy songs just for people to sit back and listen to, and maybe they'll get some notoriety. And then the second album completely subvert audience expectations <laughs> and just become a completely different genre of bands. Uh, I mean, that, that definitely happens quite a yeah. bit. Uh, a lot of bands do that, but, um, I don't know. I think it would be hard to, especially if, if the first album gained notoriety and became successful, wouldn't it be hard to kind of bounce completely away from that sound on your second album? Well, hey, I don't think their first album maybe was huge. I think mm. really they started to gain most of their popularity on that second album. Um, yeah. But the other side of it is Kevin Drew, one of the founding members and one of the two guys, has been kind of known to, almost to like a manic point, have a very anti-pop stance. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so pretty much like to the point where he's taken measures in studio before where somebody goes, oh, you know, that could actually be kind of radio worthy. He's like, well, nope. Okay, so Hmm. we're going to change a bunch of... And so they'll like take a song and speed it up by 80 beats per minute uh-huh. and have to play it completely different and then just like Man. totally rework it into something that doesn't sound so much like a pop song like the dude really does hate pop music and so hmm. for a long time was trying very hard to make the anti-pop and i think part of that part of this probably fed into that where he's like i'm just gonna make this weird music and then i don't really care what anybody wants like i don't care about a fan base Mm -hmm. necessarily i'm just gonna do what i want Mm -hmm. and what we want to do is make a 14 person band and do Mm -hmm. this completely different style of music so yeah i think that's that's uh something that's kind of hard to to wrestle with as as an artist asking yourself like or telling yourself i care about the fans but i don't care about what they want like i care (laughs) i care about what (laughs) i want I mean, a similar example to that, except for it didn't work out for them so well, and we've talked about it before, but was <laughs> As Cities Burn, which I just briefly mentioned uh, earlier, is yeah. that their first album was same members ex- plus one as the later band. So it was there. Were, it was a five-piece, two guitars, bass, uh, vocalist, and... Uh, wait, yeah, and a screamer. Oh, maybe mm-hmm. it was four... What? I don't know. Whatever, doesn't matter. I yeah, two guitars. Ba- oh, drums. I forgot to say drums. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that I was like, how am I mathing so wrong? But two guitarists, <laughs> one of whom sang, and that's Cody, and then bass, drums, and a screamer. And so they were like a post-hardcore screamo band, and they got really popular in that scene then. And then their screamer TJ decided he wanted to leave, uh, so he did. And they were like, whatever, we'll just make this work, and we'll be even more popular because now we're just a rock band like Jimmy World and Jimmy World is more popular (laughs) than we are but the scene they were already in you know it's kind of one of those like if you're not getting heavier then you're getting worse (laughs) it was at least especially at the time was was the narrative so that was they went from being kind of I mean fairly heavy and like 
erratic kind of music to some degree. Um, but I mean, honestly, great first album, really great second album, but did not fit in the the genre and the direction that people would have wanted uh, in that first place. And so that's, mm-hmm. you know, did not work out in their favor in any yeah. case. Which is funny because like, has way more lasting appeal to me. Yeah, um, right. Just mm-hmm. as a like music listener, and really, I didn't. I mean, I was pretty late to the the party on As Cities Burn. Like, I knew mm-hmm. of them, but didn't really get into them because I think I heard their first album and was just kind of like, mm. <laughs> it sounds mm-hmm. like a lot of other things in the genre, and I have enough of those right now. <laughs> and so it wasn't until a lot later that I I finally did hear their the Come Now Sleep, which was their second album, and I was like, oh, yeah. I yep. still want to listen to this. Like mm-hmm. I actually do want to, li- I would love to have more of this and it, but it's just, there's just the one. Yeah. It's <laughs> funny. The more, the more trends that like a uh, band or whatever seems to follow the less lasting the music is. I mean, like yeah. I think of all the, all the bands that are following the eighties trend now, yeah. that's that music's not going to be popular in 10 years. No, I mean, that's my mom years. made a great point to me that like, she can look back at her pictures of pretty much, her whole life and feel like, yeah, all right, that looks fine. Like, cool. I could, I guess I could Uh show that to somebody like whatever compared to other folks who were (laughs) super popular and trendy at the time and looked really eighties. And then as soon as that Uh was like out of style, which, you know, like 10 years ago, eighties was definitely out of style. Um, (laughs) or maybe a little longer than 10 years ago, but I mean, something along those lines, you know, looking at pictures of somebody with a hardcore mullet and like, or a girl with super big hair and tons of makeup and stuff is really embarrassing. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, honestly, since then, like, I'm really glad in my more emo scene type days back in high school that I only really went into it. Like, 50% 50% never really yeah. and I, I tried <laughs> to be perfectly honest like I tried to be as emo looking as I could and just didn't have the guts to go <laughs> all in I guess or didn't have the ability to or I don't really know what it was but something about it I uh, ended up protecting myself from that to a certain degree <laughs> so nice. yeah I think musically all that to say same thing is if you fall super into a trend unless you're the trend setter it's just not gonna uh, yeah, it won't nope. have the same kind of lasting effect um, if you're copying. Really, you know, I mean, lo- yeah. all sorts of music is copying, but amalgamation is different from straight blatant ripoff. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so yeah, yeah, it kind of makes you wonder how some genres have survived as long as they have, like <laughs> jazz and hmm. blues. Like they don't really change, they don't really evolve or progress. Well, generally but also there's speaking, there's not a ton of like new jazz necessarily that's most true of the, most of the jazz players that yeah. you see now are still just playing jazz standards mm-hmm. and if they do something new it's like well this is our take on a jazz standard i and guess so it's yeah like, similarly though it's at least in the past at one point it was the height of music and it was very popular but i wonder if the lack of popularity also benefits it to where Jazz isn't it is and has been a niche for a very long time, like a fairly popular one at that. But the fact that uh-huh. I don't know, I don't know if popularity actually has any effect on that, but I feel like it could, you know, yeah. in the same way that jeans and a polo has been <laughs> kind of bland and, you know, like it's. It's not trying to reinvent the wheel. It's not offensive in any way. Right, exactly. But so it's not like, oh, 
nice jeans and a polo. <laughs> Haven't Nerd. seen that in a while. Yeah. And that's and not in any way an offense to blues or jazz or whatever, but like the fact that it's iterating on some, it's vaguely iterating on something that already has existed. And like blues, the 12 bar blues is like a thing and mm-hmm. isn't supposed to go anywhere. You know, like that's not yeah, supposed right, to go away. Right. You're supposed to be using that to your advantage. And then yeah, what's mm-hmm. new is the, the content of the lyrics or, you know, a couple tweaks that you would do here and there, musically speaking. Um, yeah. But no, definitely interesting. Yeah, I'm curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, I mean, you can't get away with something like that in pop. Right. Or, you know, a, a country even, I guess. Uh, but... Yeah, maybe, maybe country to a certain extent. I don't know. My second one, I wanted to talk a little bit about Cigaros. <laughs> hey, so, Opa. Uh, so Cigaros changed pretty drastically from their first album that they released in 1997 called Vaughn uh, to the second album that they released two years later. Uh, this album is called Agitas Birion. Of course. Uh, it's a little hard to pronounce yeah. because it's a little hard to spell. Icelandic. If you don't know anything about singer Sigaros, they are Icelandic, and all of their songs and albums are in Icelandic. Or Hopelandic, I, if not Icelandic. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a true thing. Uh, For anybody, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll real quick fill in that gap. Um, th- there's some, one of their albums at least, maybe more than just the one album, the whole album is not real words in Icelandic. It's kind of the equivalent of scatting. Yeah. It's, Mm -hmm. it's like scatting, but for post rock. So like, (laughs) like not real words, just noises that sound good. And they're fairly consistent. It's like the same fake lyrics throughout the whole album. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, used in a way that doesn't feel overbearing or anything, but it's just fun that they were like, man, I don't feel like writing real lyrics. Cause I'm like, man, that's exactly what I would do if I could. Oh yeah. So yeah, if I get away with just textures. Yeah. Sign me up. I think I, I have five or six written songs that I did that exact thing on, uh, with lyrics. Love it. They're just gibberish. Um, because I tried to like muffle the lyrics and I thought, eh, no one's really going to try and dissect these anyways. So let me just make them gibberish. Uh, so for any of you college kids out there listening, I know I was one of them. This is not a super deep band. Uh, a lot of the stuff that they sing is kind of just gibberish or, or a lot of repetition um, because their lyrics are typically very sparse or, you know, uh, don't really they, they don't have any speed to them. They're, they're very slow and drawn out. And most of their songs are. So their first album was a lot like Broken Social Scene, where it's very ambient and ha- contains just a lot of soundscapes and a lot of breaks in between any lyrics or like, you know, uh, structure to the songs. Oh, guys, hang on. Stop the show. Stop the presses. There is a kitty cat on the screen. It's Chad's kitty cat. Uh, the benefit of Skype is that we get to see Chad's cat. Mm. You get to see my kitty cat. All right. Uh, that has to be the Sorry. Instagram picture for when we put this one out. Um, Good time. Welcome to Catcast. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, the, the, the first time they put out was very ambient, and then they uh, pretty much abandoned the whole ambient noise and got rid of a lot of the synth work uh, that's very prevalent on that first record. And you can still hear that in this second one, but when they released the second album, it was like way more of a structured piece. The songs really flowed into one another uh, very well. It's still, I mean, they're still a very slow band and they take their time, but the music that they write is very, very beautiful. I think they're a post-rock band, but uh, the main Mm -hmm. difference between the first 
album and the second album is the incorporation of a lot of classical instruments, mm. as you'll hear in this example. So uh, it is the third track on the album. So there, this album has an intro that's like a little over a minute long. And then there's a 10 minute long song. And then you get the third song, uh, which is I mean, every song is pretty lengthy. I think this album yeah. is like 70 something minutes long. Uh, <laughs> but uh, this is a little clip from the song Starla Fur. It is quite pretty. Uh, I really enjoy that song. Mm-hmm. I, I, I listen to that in college constantly, especially that, that whole record. And I just love those little bits like that where everything else pretty much drops out and you just get those that big like chorus of, you know, just like a nice string instruments. Arrangement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and this song contains a lot of other stuff, too. There's there's, you know, some percussion in there. Uh, there there's lyrics and then there's kind of these small little breakdowns where everything drops out and all you hear is an unplugged electric guitar playing <laughs> like like soft chords in the background mm-hmm. uh and and just these incredibly up close vocals with no effects no reverb no echo on them or anything like that uh and and this happens all throughout the album and you just get those like those big sparkling moments like like you, what you just heard and then you get these tiny little like intimate moments and uh i i really enjoy that for a second record and i i feel like this this record definitely put this band on the map and kind of solidified their sound for years to come and they're still making music Mm -hmm. um it's hard to believe that this album came out 19 years ago but anyways Hmm. yeah that's 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 pretty (laughs) yeah i don't like thinking about things in like almost 20 year timetables yeah cigarettes is cool they they definitely had a huge effect on the post-rock genre at large um I mean, just that it's whole that large, like so. No one's found it. Like, no one's found since it yet. Yeah, right. how they're long? on the run. The police really want to find them. Police, they're the on the lam. The police, mm-hmm. two thousand dollar prize for anyone who catches them. They're sending a message in a bottle. Mm-hmm. Oh, so Sting's got it. Sting, he stings stole all over post rock. They're they're gonna do a sting to. Sting's ah. gonna Sting's gonna do a sting. I'm sorry. <laughs> Welcome to Puncast. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a drum yeah. kit, but my cymbals aren't set up. Otherwise, I would. I actually mm. wouldn't, but I can say that I would. You would have said <laughs> that you were going to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, for my third one, and yeah, this was like one of the best sophomore albums I could think of. Um, I got into this band on their second album. I my sister actually had gotten it I, either from somebody or had been told about it. And then uh, my the first year I went to Bonnaroo in 2009, I uh, my sister gave me this album right before we were about to drive down there, and we were driving separately because we were taking both of our cars to Bonnaroo so we could like make a tent between them, and because <laughs> that's what we did, and. Mm-hmm. She gave me this album. I was like, here, you'll probably really like this. Um, 
kind of knowing that like I was into a lot of different things. I get a lot of my music taste from my sister to begin with. And so I generally trust her pretty well with like, you're going to like this band. And she gave me their album. Uh, Can Manchester I make a guess? Orcus- oh, no, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I, no, that's okay. I was going to be wrong in any in either case. I was going to guess. I, the timeline wouldn't have worked out for either one, but uh, I was going to say Mute Math or Bony Vare. Mm. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. yeah but uh, Mute Math would have been that, earlier than that. Bony Vare would have yeah. been a little bit later. I Well, so funny thing, I knew about Mute Math before then, like because I, I got into them a few years before that, uh-huh. but I found out about Bon Iver that year at Bonnaroo because I saw him that year at Bonnaroo. Nice. And that would that uh, would have still been on the Forema stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. that's yeah. all he had out. It was before Because I think, Cal- and yeah, everything. and Bon Iver, mm. his self-titled wasn't until like 2011, I think. That sounds right. Yeah, yeah, 2011. Yeah, yeah, 2011. Uh, yeah, that was a really cool show, and I have some like hipster credit there because it's like Ooh. I saw Bon Iver when there was like not a huge crowd at the yeah, tent. Yeah. It was like nobody <laughs> knew who he was, uh, so that was fun. Um, but it is Manchester Orchestra. Yep. She handed nice. me uh, "Mean Everything to Nothing," which is their second album, and I was blown away. I listened mm. to the whole thing on the drive down there, and just the whole time was enraptured with just everything that was happening on that album because it is such a good album and from just the writing quality to the way that it sounds and the like style of music that i hadn't heard somebody combine you know indie rock and punk and hardcore influenced music in in a way like that um it just totally blew me away um and, and especially this song is so or not this song this album is significant to me as a sophomore album because their first album like i mentioned at the beginning of the show is not recorded the best it's got a lot of really great songwriting and is still probably my second favorite album of theirs but it the the second album is this intersection this perfect storm of recording quality and songwriting um, that just none of their later albums have touched to me. Mm. Like I like their uh-huh. later stuff. Um, Simple Math is really great. Uh, Cope is not recorded very well again, but it's got some good songwriting. Hope is awesome. I wish they had intermingled Cope and Hope uh, to make more dynamic albums, but that's fine. And Black Mile <laughs> of the Surface is also a really cool album. It's a lot more interesting to me than Cope was, but mean everything to nothing is amazing because <laughs> uh, it's got mm-hmm. such a good ride of like huge really hype songs and then just like really sweet songs andy hole can really do a lot with his voice and i think it, it shows um so this super cut that i made for this one is their song mm-hmm. shake it out and then the song pride and then a song called i can feel a hot one and that's just three songs off of mean everything to nothing That was cool. Wow. I like yeah. it. Yeah. I need to actually that listen to them. Super now solid. Now that I know album. what they sound like. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. That's that's like a, a brief overview of like what all of their songs pretty much sound like is that. It's like some pretty high energy stuff, some sludgy riffs every now and then. Mm-hmm. And then they've got really sweet 
really sad or creepy songs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I mean they were they were a huge influence on the style of music that I started playing afterwards and the kind of music that I wanted to make and be a part of. I mean, Low Beggar picked just just took so much inspiration from from Manchester and from Brand New. I mean, they're fairly similar in in their influences, but um man, yeah. We we made a lot of song choices and style choices kind of based out of mine and Seamus's enjoyment of Manchester especially. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah, listening to a band like this, it's always the direction that I wish more emo-oriented music would have gone in um, instead of the kind of crash and burn direction that it did <laughs> uh, because this kind of stuff is just so good. It's it's like, it's the perfect heavy pick-me-up for me. Like, I, I don't I don't listen to this band often, but every time that I do, I, like, they're, they're just one of those bands that I'm reminded these guys exist and they're very, very good. Yeah. And yeah, yeah I need to listen to them more. But like, again, like this album in particular is one that I don't like over listening to because I don't want to get tired of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, for uh, sure. Uh-huh. It, it is a it is an album for me that for a long time if I was like driving long distance or something and I was getting mm-hmm. tired it's like I'm gonna put on me and everything and nothing because I know mm-hmm. almost all the lyrics to that whole album and I will scream along with every single one of those songs and it is yeah. just such a great time so yeah until you <laughs> until until I blow my vocal cords because <laughs> yeah I until I, I get to wherever <laughs> I'm going and it's like hey guys what's up uh-huh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> totally. so. For my last one, uh, and I'll I'll go quick because we are holy moly way over time. Uh, <laughs> if that even means anything, it doesn't. Uh, it's just it's late. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I went with a uh, Neutral Milk Hotel, who I Ooh. think is a band that has the best sophomore album, uh, <laughs> maybe ever. I don't know. Um, Neutral Milk Hotel was a band. They were a band. Um, they are not anymore, unfortunately. Uh, mm-hmm. They they were um, one of the, I guess, earliest indie rock bands, like notable indie rock bands. Uh, and they kind of came out of the um, southern, like, Atlanta, Georgia, and Louisiana uh, Elephant Six movement, uh, which was uh, the, the first, like, notable indie rock movement. Uh, and Elephant Six was a label, and a couple of bands were attached to it, including my favorite band of Montreal. But Neutral Milk Hotel... <laughs> Uh, they put out one record, and it, I mean, it's it's not that it's a bad album. the The album is called On Avery Island, and it's not bad. It's just it's very lo-fi, and it's mostly Jeff Mangum, the lead singer, uh, doing a lot of acoustic guitar and like ramblings. Um, but then uh, this album came out uh, in the airplane over the sea is the name of their second record, and it would go on to be a huge critical success, uh, and especially like a big underground success. Um, and this is truly one of the most like beautifully composed albums that I've probably ever heard because this is like, I don't know when I tell people often that I'm an album guy and I like to listen to the whole album. This is exactly what I would give them an example of like, there's not a a song on this album that's like meant to be listened to just by itself because this whole album is a song pretty much like it's obviously more than one song but you have to sit down and listen to this whole thing in order to really appreciate it the way it was meant to be appreciated um i think this album breathes extremely well uh there are huge heavy fuzz distorted guitars all over this album and then there's you know parts where uh, jeff mangum will just go into like a seven minute acoustic 
you know, folk song where he's singing about the Holocaust. Uh, there's a lot of Holocaust and just like generally sad themes throughout the album. Uh, but they're all written very well and there's a lot of stuff that really makes you lyrically it makes you think and it makes you react and it makes you feel in a way that i don't think a lot of music especially nowadays really achieves so i wanted to bring forward just one song uh it's m3 and this is uh one of the earlier songs on the album it's called the king of carrot flowers parts two and three and the first three songs on this album are, are kind of just one sweet one piece that's that's driven together. So the first song on this album is just an acoustic, an acoustic guitar and vocals. Uh, and then the second album kind of leads. There's an accordion that, that bleeds like this transition. Uh, I can't remember if I talked about it on the transition episode, but we get this accordion that that that. Uh, makes that transition happen and then uh the second song is it gets very 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 big and very fast and fuzzy and distorted and that's what we're going to listen to now it's called king of carrot flowers two and three Yeah, so the majority of that album sticks with that kind of musical theme. Uh, it's a it's a pretty like pretty basic chord progression that you get uh, throughout all the songs. I mean, they change keys and stuff like that. Uh, but you know, it's the trumpet in there. There there are other parts of the album where it's that kind of similar trumpet tone repeating, uh, but just with like an acoustic guitar or just an accordion in the background. So um, that's why this album is like so familiar all the way through, and the songs kind of just work really well together. Uh, I think that's a really, really solid sophomore album, and unfortunately, it's the last thing that they ever put out. Mm. So it's not only a sophomore album, it's a last album. Yeah. <laughs> they actually came to Nashville a couple of years ago, and I knew a lot of they people did. that were trying to make it out for that. I feel like they're oh, yeah. one of those bands that is going to be remembered um, in the like indie rock genre as being sort of, I don't know, just hugely influential, like... Beatles oh, totally. level influential to most of the indie music genre as a whole. Because um, yeah. they, they, I mean, yes, Neutral Milk Hotel and the last of the two albums, but like their influence rang out a lot further. And the the folks that were in the band still do things. They just don't mm-hmm. do Neutral Milk Hotel. And right. I just butchered saying that. Yeah. Um, but It's very hard to say five times fast. <laughs> it is hard to say quickly. Um, yeah. <laughs> for instance, uh, Julian Coaster which was, mm-hmm. I think, uh, like their bass player, just like random instruments person. Mm-hmm. He, he actually uh, did a podcast with the Night Vale folks called Orbiting Human Circus of the Air. Mm-hmm. It was a really sweet... Yeah, like, I heard about that. Yeah. yeah. It's really like story-based. They just kind of tell a story mm-hmm. of like a radio show from Paris, and it's really sweet and mm-hmm. really touching and cool. I'll have to check that out. I was going to say something, and I don't remember exactly what it is. Um, <laughs> Some I think good job. It was going to start with, I think it's interesting that, because my mouth was ready to say those words, and then my brain forgot what the <laughs> rest was. Um, yeah, uh, so bands like Neutral Milk Hotel, obviously they broke up, and they'll be always remembered for being influential. It's funny to think back to, and so like the Beatles uh, were super influential, and then they broke up. Elvis Presley 
this is just a thought that I've had as an example. He like in my mind, he did his career stuff for his first like five years and then and and then he died after that because hmm. Yeah. But I know that's not the case. Like he dipped down for a really long time before he died. And I feel like Michael Jackson mm-hmm. is a similar kind of thing where like there's some of these really influential people that mm-hmm. they had the height of their career. And in retrospect, like without being somebody who lived through it or, you know, without doing any research, my gut feeling is only that their most influential part of their career was their only active part of their career just because they mm-hmm. kind of fell off the map for a while after that. So I don't know. I, that doesn't really have anything to do with anything besides just being a... Th- uh, it's it's not a thought I'm very able to articulate particularly well, but have thought about <laughs> in some Particular, various... Yeah. You said that very well. Yeah. Well, no, thank you articulated you. that very well. Uh, and you enunciated it well, too. Um, I, I was... No, I, I think yeah. there's a big... Di- sorry, I, I'm... going. I think Go there's a big difference between... So, like, what the Neutral Milk Hotel guys did was they stopped playing that music, but they Mm -hmm. remained relevant in other ways and remained Mm -hmm. doing things. Whereas, like, Elvis, I think as soon as he stopped being popular for doing the Elvis thing, like, had nothing else. Oh, totally. He he had nothing else to stay relevant with. Not that I think Michael Jackson didn't have anything else to stay relevant with, but he kind of chose not to. Right. Like, he... I mean, really, well, after his time of being a musician in the like eighties, I mean, what did he do after that? He kind of uh, hung out and spent a bunch of money and like. Michael hung Jackson out. put out a few records in the nineties. None of them are particularly memorable because none of them were able to top something like Bad or Thriller. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, I guess the the same thing goes for Elvis Presley. Elvis actually had a big like that's he hit his gospel phase in the '60s. Mm. So you know, the '50s was like you know a heartbreak hotel and like the Elvis that we all know as like Elvis. And in the '60s, he got fat you and started. <laughs> hell, <no. laughs> he started. He got fat and started doing movies. He filmed like dozens of movies in Hawaii and like all Elvis themed movies. And he was trying to stay relevant in a time where he just was becoming old school because the sixties were such a drastic change for yeah. music yeah. and he didn't fit in there anymore. So, and that's the, kind yeah, of what these, I mean. Like, exactly. Like you fade into oblivion and then, you know, people kind of just in the mainstream, they don't hear about you anymore until you die. But yeah, I, I totally get that that uh, idea that like yeah, Elvis was Elvis. He he made a lot of albums and then he just died. Like, <laughs> and there's we, an we indiscriminate not... amount of time between. That. Yeah, yeah. just like... <laughs> like maybe a year, maybe like five years. I don't know. You could convince uh, me of any of them. <laughs> yeah, uh, he didn't. He died in 1977, which is crazy because like he oh, man. put out like his last notable album in like 1960. So and then I mean, he was that's just eating like years. weird peanut butter banana sandwich. Sandwiches for the rest yep. of the time. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, sophomore albums. Um, just to kind of come back around to it. Uh, I don't Elvis know. Any closing thoughts good. that we have? Uh, I think um, Elvis has a really good sophomore album. <laughs> <laughs> It's called. Uh, I mean, he might. Welcome I don't know. Elvis. I'm laughing at that as if it were a joke. I'm assuming it was. I don't know. <laughs> I think. I, I think the way it worked back in the '50s is your second album was just like more, more of exactly more of the, the same, same songs that was on your first album. Like, like literally the exact same songs, just like with one new single thrown in. Because <laughs> albums were only like 
six or seven songs long because they were just all supposed to be radio singles um yeah but i don't know very true that'd be worth it'd be worth going back and listening to i we don't know anything about elvis i'm sorry (laughs) we we are the wrong people things that we know pretty much so (laughs) there you go uh yeah i don't know so i overall I, i i think it's interesting to think about and especially to think about the artists in the the writing process of it, like just imagining them on the tour bus, g- just trying to throw together ideas yeah. to you know throw something on a wall to get an album together, and that's you know just not always going to be the case that they have to do that depending on their record deal, and but yeah, I mean knowing. So, for example, some of my clients for when I was working at uh, in business management stuff, we were working with country artists, all of whom where you know that's more kind of pop mainstream than the stuff that I listen to in any case and mm-hmm. so the biggest artist that I worked with and with their record deal it specifically stated like you got to have an album out within 2 years and they have you know three of those albums so it started at their first one you have to have another one within 2 years and another one within 2 years of that and then depending on how stuff goes this contract might extend to two more albums and then from there mm-hmm. we just renegotiate another one um all that to say, I I'm pretty sure when it came close to that two years, they're like, yeah, garbage. We got to do some stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got to so, write a bunch of stuff. And well, you know, <laughs> within that industry too, it's it's a lot of co-writing, and so that that makes it a little bit easier that you can just kind of get together with some other folks, and if they have ideas, and you can help kind of pick off of those too, then you mm-hmm. don't have to come up with all of it yourself. Yeah. But for a band where if they're not very organized too, to make time to have that happen, then that can, that can be hard to coordinate and, and really get that, uh, get that going. So yeah. I can see I'll, how a sophomore slump would be a thing, but it's interesting. That's yeah. something that Portugal, the man has actually done a, a pretty incredible job at because hmm. they've been hmm. making music for a really long time. I know they just kind of hit a big commercial single in the last like year. Um, but they have been writing and recording songs for years and for a long time they were putting out an album every single year. Wow. And did you know their touring vocalist? constantly. Hmm? You, did you know their vocalist used to be uh, in a metal band? I could I see it. Yeah. I could, hmm. That dirty stash coming from somewhere. <laughs> Man, that dirty metal stash. Because yeah, yeah, actually, again, I, I've this is our Bonnaroo podcast, apparently. <laughs> but that, that year at Bonnaroo in 2009, I saw them as well and was totally blown away. Because um, mm-hmm. huh. I think their live performance was way more interesting than their albums were at the time. Um, which I think is, is kind of part of why they never really got to a certain level of success until recently, but, yeah. but man, to, for them to like just churn these albums out and be touring the way they were was very mm. impressive. Yeah. Um, it, it takes a lot. Yeah. And it must take a lot out of you. I mean, to be constantly writing and touring. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. When we're not writing know. music, we're playing music. And when we're not playing music, we're sitting on a tour bus, smoking weed and writing music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. I don't know what they're doing. It's yeah. It's what it's Elvis fine. said. Well, I think that's it for this episode, guys. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> this one will be a lot different editing process uh, in <laughs> on the end side. So I apologize if there was anything weird. That's entirely on me, and this was just a, a weird process of recording so uh we'll see how that turns <laughs> it's a, out it's a learning experience yes it's a learning experience definitely so it's Maybe a lot it'll work out perfectly it's a lot smoother when we're all in the same place but overall i mean the our experience at least so far on the recording side was pretty smooth so that's good yeah, yeah. 
and good stuff. Um, that's it for for this show. This is episode twenty five. We made it twenty five whole whoop, episodes, whoop. and Ooh, so quarter of a century. Moving forward, it, we would love to hear from you guys. If you would, <laughs> you know, tweet us or uh, Instagram us or Facebook us, you know, like the like those young people do. <laughs> None of those are real words. Not me. None of us. <laughs> None of us. So, uh, but yeah, so follow us at joy at joyous eclectic or email us at joyous eclectic at gmail.com. If you have any like ideas for things you want us to talk about, that'd be cool. Just let us know. Um, also stick around until the end. I have a, a fun question to ask everybody that or something that I just thought of a minute ago, but Actually, that's pretty much the end. That's it. Just tell your friends to listen to it. <laughs> rate and review the podcast if you can. That would be super awesome. Uh, the question, I asked this to Matt. It's kind of an icebreaker type question. I asked it to Matt the other day, and I'm curious now to ask everybody. If you could, uh, 50 years in the future, 50 years in the past, you can pick one to vacation for a week, and then the next one to go and live the rest of your life, which one would it be? Would you go? Would you vacation in the future and live in the past, or vacation in the past, live in the future? Think about it. Tweet us if you want, um, or just think about it and and get lost in your own mind for eons and eons. I don't know, whatever you want. <laughs> All right, that's it. See y'all later. I want to live in the boat. Thank you. Though.